0: In episode 50 of MobyCast, we discuss the tension between creators of open source projects and those that use the software commercially. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in.
1: Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you here. So we're going to talk today about Twitter's favorite topic. We we try to not do this all the time because we like to share, you know, useful content for people to, you know, bring to their jobs and hopefully they learn a little something and go and then go use what they learned as they're doing software engineering, hopefully cloud native very high quality professional software engineering. But, you know, this is just too interesting. So what has Twitter been talking about? What has the orange website been talking about? They've been talking about open source and they've been talking about what you do when open source meets the cloud and essentially what's what's been going on with companies like MongoDB that we talked about before, like Redis, and then obviously the, the huge gorilla that's taking over and just wreaking havoc and in, in some very amazing and very good ways, but also in some negative ways, which is AWS. So. I don't want to be the one to introduce this because I think that you've done a little bit more thinking about it and, and done so in a more organized way. So Chris, maybe you could introduce us here.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like you said, this is what, you know, very current topic. It's a very active topic and it is changing, you know, day by day. Like there's there's new things happening here. And, and really, you know, what it boils down to is this, there's this tension with, the open source community between the folks that are um, producing or sponsoring its development and then the, the folks that are actually then using that consuming it. And so in particular, we're seeing you know big public cloud providers and other service service providers are operationalizing these open source projects, turning them into production grade services that are fully managed. And that becomes a business model for them to and it's very profitable for them. The open source providers, they're struggling to find their business model as a producer of that that technology as or as a sponsor of that technology. And so that's where the tension's coming in. So it's kind of like the it's just, it's very, there's just a lot of pressure there with, with these open source companies or or sponsors of these projects. Like how do we, how do we make money? And this this feeling of being kind of I would imagine it's kind of feeling like being taken for granted or being used. They probably feel like they're just being like, hey, we did all this hard work and yet we're not making any of the profits. This other folks are coming in and, and kind of like just taking away our, our our livelihood. And that's a that's a big problem for us. And so that's the that's the ground level tension that's going on here. And again, it's lots of different players in this space, many, many different open source projects are Making changes to their their license models. And then you also have on the other on the other side the the players in the consumer space, so the big public cloud providers like AWS, folks like Red Hat, even actually some other open source type communities. so you have, and we'll get into that a little bit more as well. So it's you got players in on both sides of the space, but I think at the end of the day, what this boils down to is what's the business model for open source? Because it's changed from what it was you know, even five years ago. And I think that's what we're dealing with here. I think this is where the tension's coming from is that the economics have changed, the business models changed, and I think the open source projects have a big challenge ahead of them to find out what, how they're gonna adapt to that.
1: So I'm not sure where to go from here. One of the things that I wanna get in is just kind of a, a little bit of a list of some big things that have happened recently. And then I also want to dive into just a couple of thoughts that I had when you started talking about the business model. I think I guess it makes more sense to lay the groundwork a little bit. So Chris, maybe you could just tell us what's been happening. You know, give us give us a little bit of a, a bulleted list of of what's happening in the in the past, you know, weeks, months.
2: Sure. Yeah. So I, I think Redis Labs has definitely been at the forefront of this. So Redis Labs, they're sponsoring the Redis project. You know, Redis is a great in memory database solution that's been around for, for quite some time right now. You know, just a wonderful, wonderful piece of software and and Redis Labs is is kind of the uh, the sponsor for that now. And you know, their business model is they provide that. They they have a service offering for for Redis and they've done some improvements to it as well with with Redis modules. So they kind of kicked this off, this latest salvo of, of license attacks, if you will, back in August of 2018. So they went and they revised their open source license to be modified with the Commons Clause. And, and really what this was, was this was about making changes to protect them and, and, and that project from, from cloud vendors like AWS we're allowing them to go and monetize this, but not contributing back to the projects in a significant manner, right? So that was the, the goal of that. And then just recently, just- Before you say what happened just recently, you
1: just said they had appended the commons clause to their license, but uh, could you just tell me what that means?
2: What's the commons clause? <laughs> Full disclosure, I haven't read the the specifics, but it, again, what it, it it's attaching restrictions to what you can do and, and the derivative works. Right. So these are these are just they're they're making these licenses more restrictive.
1: Right. I thought, and and this is where I'd I'd love it if somebody would just write to us and tell me that I'm wrong. But I thought that the Commons Clause was essentially saying that if you do make changes to this, they need to be open source too. You don't get to go make changes and then commercialize, you know, the core open source part with your changes. But I could
2: be wrong. And and, and I mean that that's probably pretty much spot on i mean this is and this is the the common theme right with these licenses that they're they're either a saying whatever stuff you whatever improvements you do around it that has to be open source as well or the licenses are more geared towards saying like you know what you just can't use this as you can't make money off of this as a service you can use the software but you can't make money running it as a service, right? So th- those are like the two different approaches that the community is taking right now.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Without getting into the the names of the licenses and the specific legalese, those two business
2: approaches to licensing software. I think
1: that that's clearly what's happening.
2: So yeah, it's it's impossible to keep up with the with all these licenses, because there's just so many, right? It's like, right, right. Apache 2 there's there's the bsd license there's now and now everyone's making their own they're, they're, they're inventing their own licenses right yeah. so so you have we talked about with mongo they have the sspl that's their they server-side public license it's only for mongo and but they had to come up with a new license just for w- what their needs were and now redis labs has come out with their own so you know they just Days ago, came out with a, a new way of license, of, of attaching the license to the software. And they're calling this the RSAL, the Redis Source Available License. And so there we it. are.
1: Back to where we were going originally, just because you were, you were about to say before just a few days ago and, and yeah, they, they put in this new license and isn't it funny, the name of that license, the name of that license just sort of feels like a trip down memory lane, a source available license just really feels like, oh yeah, I feel like I've bought some enterprise products that had that feature
2: before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So just getting, you know, super interesting to see that even the first iteration of this wasn't wasn't restrictive enough for Redis labs they, they still weren't happy with it weren't seeing the traction and so you know just spending more more um, energy in this space to come up with other ways of like what approaches they can use for it they this this new license is it specifically applies to Redis modules that have been created by Redis labs so it's not the actual redis engine itself it's and, and so modules are you know, it's, just, it's a way of extending Redis, right? Plugging in new functionality into Redis. That's mm-hmm. not part of the core Redis engine. So they've done some stuff here in the dealing with like AI and ML and things like Bloom filters and, and other things. This new license covers that code. Okay. So they're saying in this particular license is saying, you know what, you can use this as you want, except you can't integrate it into a DB. A caching engine a stream processing engine search engine (laughs) basically you can't put into an engine (laughs) Is, (laughs) is is, is the restriction there so you know again just trying to find ways to make it so that other folks can't use the software profit off of it without giving back or in some cases just not being able to profit off of it right so that's that's the case here with, with with this license with the Redis modules. So you're right. not gonna see Redis modules in ElastiCache, right? It's yep. Just, it's not gonna happen. Right.
1: And Redis isn't the only one at
2: this. Who else is is doing this? You no, know, as we talked before on a, on a previous episode, so MongoDB, you know, they made a really big change with their with their license back in October of 2018. And that was fully to Go after these software providers. These running it as as a service. So MongoDB itself, you know, had said that look, we need to be able to monetize MongoDB exclusive of cloud competition. And if we can't, then we're not going to be able to sustain the development in this. Right? It's not going to be worth our worth our while. Which is kind of a you know that's a pretty pretty strong statement and basically saying like hey we we can't compete with the cloud. And so like it's it's kind of imperative for us to kind of just stop that in the butt, right? Like we don't want to compete with them because we can't. And Mm -hmm. so we need to find ways to make it so that we're not competing with them. So there's there's definitely been you know a lot of activity there on on Mongo. They have a big big spotlight on them as being a public company. Right. Right. So like they have to make money. Right and they have so to grow is, yeah. yeah and uh, yes a, a, absolutely they have, they have to grow so this is a very core issue for them as well you have other projects out there that are you know making moves here as well they're they're maybe not as well known but like confluent recently did this as well they just came out with a with a new license that they call it the confluent community license and this is one that says hey you can use this, the software, you can modify it, you can redistribute it, but you cannot provide the software as a SaaS offering, mm-hmm. right? So, boom, just gonna just gonna make it very explicit. You cannot run this as a service and charge money for it, which, you know, get, that that's pretty strict. Right, <laughs> right. And that, that's pretty cut and dry. Yes.
1: Yeah. You know? So at this point in the show, if we were Radio Lab, there would be like a DJ scratch and we would say, wait a minute, because I I think where we're going next is to say all of these open source sponsored companies like Mongo, like Redis, they don't own their products in, in the typical sense, like they may be changing the license on future versions of those products, but they can only do that because the licenses are open source to begin with. So they're just taking a version and saying, hey, this we're gonna create a commercial product with a different license based on this version of something that is freely available and in the public domain, right? So that's just sort of interesting to me. These companies that, like, I think that the core the core like cognitive dissonance for me in this conversation is, oh, well, Mongo's changing their license or Redis is changing their license. And I think that we need to tease that apart and say, no, 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 no. That is not their code. That is open source code. It does not belong to Redis Labs and Mongo does not belong to MongoDB. And when they're changing the license, they're just saying, we're gonna take a version that we've been working on internally and put a new license on it, which they're totally welcome to do. The, the open source, the previous open source license made that allowable. So I think that's what kind of gives me this aha moment, like, whoa, you're like, okay, you know, just because they built a business around an open source product doesn't mean that they are the open source product. And that that just kind of is like, makes me kind of like, I, I don't even know, just like kind of shake my head, like, whoa, whoa, this is so weird. What's gonna happen now? So so I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But before we before we go all the way there and and just really get into what their rights really are and what they should be getting for their contributions to these open source projects, let's talk a little bit about who the open source consumers are. Do you want to just go through that a little bit, Chris?
2: Right. So obviously the the big gorilla here is is AWS. so mm-hmm. AWS has many different open source projects that it's it's turned into to highly available, highly scalable services that are fully managed that just makes it so easy to use. So Redis is is a great example, Memcached, Kafka. You have, you know, we talked about DocumentDB, which is the the MongoDB drop-in replacement. You have Elasticsearch. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. There's quite a bit of open source software that has been turned into service by AWS. And, you know, don't make no mistake about it, they've added a lot of... You know incredible expertise and engineering and lots of resources to make those highly available highly scalable managed services oh for Um, sure yeah so and and that's that's kind of like the the core crux of this of what, what what the competition is about and why folks like like redis labs and mongo are having problems and and issues is that this is, And we kind of touched on this a little bit at the beginning, just kind of saying like, hey, the landscape is changing. And it's different mm-hmm. today than it was five years ago. And one of the, the huge big changes that's happened is that the cloud is here. And cloud native development is here. And people are running in the cloud. So before, that wasn't the case, right? You, you went and basically everything was kind of on-prem. And you were installing software yourself. You were managing it. You were applying updates and patches. And that worked really, really well for the open source community because your business model there was like, we can charge support, right? So give away the software, but people are going to need support on how to integrate with this and how to run it and how to manage it and how to do backups and restores and whatnot. So we'll we'll provide support contracts, right? That's our business model. Works really well. But when you now start offering that product as a ser- other companies start offering that product as a service, then you don't need that anymore. Right. So the dollars, the dollars they, they switch, they flow a different way. And that's what this whole argument is now about, right? It's right. These open source providers are like the business models that worked in the past for us are not working now. It's really hard for us to compete against these other folks that are cloud companies that know right. how to run
0: SaaS software. Mm-hmm. Right? Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. So this is a thing that I was thinking right at the beginning of this conversation,
1: and it felt like not quite the right time to say it, and now I think it's the right time to say it. So this is a bit of a simplified statement, and some people might get after me about this. but you know we've been in the software industry for a long time, and it feels like there's two if you're if your market is software developers or are people that create software and run software, if that's your market. so so inside insiders of the software industry, it feels like there's two hard problems for companies. One hard problem is getting developers to buy slash use your software. So, I'm in a new data database. Hey, everybody, use my new database. It's cool, it's the best, really, really, really. That is a hard, hard problem. Like marketing to, to developers is, is like, oh my God, I just don't even wanna, oh my God, here we are doing it right now as part of this podcast, but you get it, right? It is a hard problem. So the other hard problem is operating software at giant scale. And you know that problem is the problem that's changed significantly. I think marketing to developers changed several years ago and now operating software at scale is changing now. And that's where, I want, that's where I'm going with this. Marketing to developers was kind of solved with open source. Finally, a way to get developers to use a product without having to call them, email them, bother them. Instead, you just use this like guerrilla, total guerrilla marketing, like, hey, contribute to this open source project or use this free library. Everybody's using it. Oh yeah, I've been using it. I'm talking about it at my meetup it's so great all of a sudden like the good product starts to start to rise to the top and get used by more and more people and then when you got a real winner you know it and that
2: that is a feature of open source i would say right would you say that yeah i mean open source is all about the community right Mm -hmm. and it's all it's 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 about kind of having that it establishes a relationship right? Yeah. Uh, probably uh, this a uh, really core fundamental relationship with the software. So there's a, it's a huge difference between like buying software versus building software, right? So if you build so- software, like you have a sense of ownership to it and you're much more loyal to it as opposed to just buying something, you know, off the shelf, that relationship doesn't exist. And, and yeah, when you're talking to, you know, folks like developers who are, there's a lot of not invented here mentality. And like, I, I can build mm-hmm. this thing better. I can design this thing better. It's like open source throws all that stuff out the window. Like open source is fine. You can make it better, yeah. submit a PR.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. So it solves that really weird marketing problem. And then companies like Red Hat, companies like Confluent come out of that because you know they realize the original founders of the open source project and I'm I'm actually not sure about the founding stories of those two companies I, I just mentioned, but but it is often the case that a, a company that started or a, an open source project that started by a, a few founders, they realize they've got a tiger by the tail. They're they're realizing they're seeing their GitHub stars go up and up and up, and they're like, oh my goodness, we've got to do something about this. and they form a company, and that has been just a really neat way for for people to to realize it, they have traction to get potentially venture capital money and to build something around the open source project that, yes, they mostly did create, but before they ever really got very far with it, they gave it to the world. Yeah, that, I mean, That's a important little phrase I just used there, get, they gave it to the world. They really
2: did, sort of in a legal way, give it to the world. Yeah, I mean, that's what open source software is, right? Like, I mean, once you make that decision to go open source, I mean, that is, that's just that's the contract, right? I mean, that that was the whole, that's the whole premise of it is that this is something that is given to the community. And it's really not owned by anyone. It's owned by the community. And it's this idea of like, hey, if you can, if you find the software useful, use it. And if you can help make it better, and it, it's all under the the promise of like, it's going to grow and it's going to get better from that, that mm-hmm. community. But once you give it I mean, once you make that decision, right, that to to make it a community project, that's what you've done, right? You can't right. like you can't now try to turn it into some kind of proprietary thing that you make money off of. Like that that but really that,
1: wasn't that's where the crux is, right? Because that was the game. That was what people were were realizing that they could do. And that was the path to creating a valuable inner work, you know, insider's insider piece of software. You everyone realized, oh, I'm not gonna be able to just go make a company and make a new fancy database or something or a fancy, you know, management system for web applications. Like, I can't go do that as a company. I've got to go get a popular open source project first, and then I can convince people I can make a company around it. And it's such a departure from sort of the peace and love, you know, free software days of the past. It it, it really is like a very strategic, like, I'm going to make this thing, give it to the world, then I'm going to capitalize on it Mm -hmm. uh, once the world decides they like it. is a there's a little bit of a of attention there? There's a there's a thing that's falling over with the cloud.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Again, it, I mean, it's just everything is changing so quickly. Business models and just the players and and, and just what opportunities are there. So, like, I mean, think back, like I think a good example here is like the Apache project. Like that kind of feels a bit more like just the pure play. Like this is like hardcore, just community projects and yeah, really. Like it's all about just community and sharing and contributing and building something, just really something really great, right? Yeah, just um, because it should exist. Yeah, but, but it's not a. Yeah. It's 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 just really not about money, right? And that's that's mm-hmm. kind of that's where open source started, mm-hmm. um, and that's where it had been for for a while. And then there was the, you know, the realization is like, wait a minute, we we like we can make money off of this by by doing things support like um, doing support or training. And some of those, those efforts paid off very, very handsomely. So like, I'm thinking like, even just recently, like I'm looking at you, Heptio. (laughs) Right. Right? Like, I mean, that's, that's a great example of it. It's like, you know, Kubernetes is, 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 you know, an amazing piece of technology and it's grown to be like, just so huge. And it's just, I mean, it's just amazing. Like just all the pieces to it and everything that it can do, but it's been developed by, you know, I mean... I can't even imagine how many contributors have added to the code base and it's just such a big project. But again, you know, you, you say some of the, the, the creators of that, of that project, they were able to, to go build a venture funded company. And they just recently had a very, very nice exit on to the tune of a half billion dollars, yep. <laughs> you know, and that was all built around the business model of like, we will provide training, consulting and whatever else comes out of it for, for Kubernetes. And and man, you know managed service as well,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this is this is such a tough thing. I'm about to say my favorite favorite part of this whole conversation, which is that, well, there is obviously this this disparity between how AWS is taking these products and then just gargantuanizing them. That is a word I just made up.
0: Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, you did.
1: <laughs> they're they're doing that, and they're like not making really hardly any new open source projects, or, or when they do, you know, they're just, they're, they're not really, nobody thinks of AWS as the open source company. They may actually contribute quite a bit, but they're not making that a big part of their brand, if, if nothing else. And versus like the companies like Redis Labs that are like, no, 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 this is ours. Like this is, don't take this away from us. And then, so here it is. There's not any difference. Redis Labs was using open source software to make money for themselves. And that's what AWS is doing too. Just because the people that were the first committers to Redis happen to work at Redis Labs, there's not a legal distinction between those things. Like there's not, or, or really a business distinction between those things. So, you know, it's the same. They're both taking advantage like they're both
2: but they're both trying to make money off of the open source software yeah yeah, yeah they're, exactly. they're ba- and they're basically competing the same way now right they're right like, as a as a managed service and they're finding it very very hard to compete against these other companies like aws yep. and and the other public cloud and again that's where this tension's coming from it's right they're finding it very difficult to compete it's threatening their business model so they're trying to find ways to Stave off that competition, and it just really feels like this is the wrong approach. Yeah, right? like, yeah, the li- the relicensing—it just feels off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, how? I mean, you're what? The, it's just going to. I mean, this poses a really big risk to the open source projects, right? So it's it's either going to, you know, they're going to lose their communities, right? Because just e- even individual contributors are going to be like wondering or scared or wary of contributing to a project that is so. Strictly licensed, where it doesn't even feel like open source software anymore, and it's kind of lost that whole that whole spirit. Right, Um, and
1: even if you're not in it for the money, like there's there's just a like if you love working on AWS or Google Cloud and you make a contribution and you get it in to the core, and then you see it running there, your own contribution is now running in the big cloud. It's like yes, mm -hmm. and if that's not a possibility anymore, it's less motivating.
2: Yeah, yeah, indeed and then you know the other risk here is that these these licenses just lead to the other other folks just forking that code base and and making brand new derivative works which that are now reason, right? that are now proprietary right that they're not open source and so what happens is you know you can think of it as like a you know a, a tree and branching and like the trunk's just withering mm-hmm. you know as and maybe that's not the best best analogy but you get the i mean it's the open source projects are at risk of of withering because they lose their community. They're not getting the kind of focus anymore because people now have to choose: do I yep. go with MongoDB or do I go with DocumentDB? Like, right. you know, does the licensing of the SSPL cause AWS to start to start splitting off DocumentDB from Mongo, where it's now a superset of MongoDB, and now people have to choose: do I go with DocumentDB or do do I go do I stay with MongoDB? Like, who am I gonna bet on? Right, um, And you know, so that is a, a really big risk here for the open source projects. It's you know, a huge I, risk. You know, yeah.
1: yeah, and it's, it's not just a risk to those projects, but I feel like it's a risk to the world, right? It's like, there's no doubt that open source projects over the last 10 or 15 years have accelerated the pace of innovation and creation in software. Everybody's benefited by the uh, ultra rapid advance, advancement of these open source projects. And then now everybody's benefiting by Not having to even work with those open source projects to get them to run at scale by those being in the public cloud. So everyone's winning except for, unfortunately, the the original contributors to those open source projects and the companies that were created by those people. So that, I I don't know what to do about that exactly, but I certainly don't want to lose this thing that we've created. How can we retain that? And this is kind of getting into the conclusions of this conversation. It's like, how do we get the good parts of what we had without having a bunch of essentially like Stan Lee's like creator of Spider-Man or, or, you know, all the Marvel comics that, that didn't get a bunch of money until way late in life. Like, how do we, how do we motivate the, the creators that want to share their work with money? And it's like, without create, without bringing back the old problem of like, how do you market to developers? Because open source is an absolutely wonderful solution to that problem. So I want to, not try to think of different solutions to that problem i just want to think of different solutions to the problem of potentially an open source project getting picked up by a big cloud provider and
2: then only making the cloud money any ideas it's it's a tough challenge for the for the open source projects and the folks that were trying to have business models built around that because again it's it's changed right so it's like i think you know my advice is like you can't you can't compete against the big service providers in that space right so it's like that's not your core competency as the oss as the open source provider or sponsor like you're not gonna you're not gonna do better at offering that as a service than you know these big companies like aws and and even if you were you still have the problem with like everyone their their code all all of their their infrastructure and software and services all are running inside of that aws cloud and then you now have to you have this separate external entity thing and you know, how do you make that efficient and right all the other extra plumbing that has to go on top of that makes it kind of a, a really difficult fit. So I think, you know, what has to happen here is that the open source project companies that are trying to make business models out of that software, they they need to come up with new ways of making money that are different from the past, like you know, the the traditional support is not gonna cut it. You know, necessarily going forward, and then you know, offering that as a service isn't going to support that. So, you gotta find another way. And so, you know, maybe like the right way to do this is actually what Redis Labs is doing: create a plugin system and make money off the modules, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's actually a really great model. Mm-hmm. Uh, so keep the so you have the the core the core project is there, and that is what's open source and and free, but. You know what is your secret sauce? What is the the company that you that you're building to to kind of focus on this open source project and to make money off? it? you got to bring something unique to the table, right? You can't just say we're gonna like sponsor some a team of developers to go work on it. It's got to be you got to you got to have something else, some some extra value. So so. F- just figure out what that is that you bring to the table, and make that proprietary, and make that your business model. Do do something that's going to make it hard for other people to compete against. With right, so, right. So yeah, I mean, you could do this with 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 Mongo. You could do it with, I mean, Redis. You can you can do. I think you, there there's there's models out there for all this stuff. So just don't try to compete head to head with someone like Amazon. In the SaaS space, you right. will lose.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's like, it's a little unfortunate because it may mean that for open source ideas, there there are going to be fewer unicorns in the future, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't like really good potential to make, uh, you know, change your life money on getting a, a good open source project out the door. Didn't NPM just release an enterprise version of NPM? Kind of interesting. It's like, they're kind of thinking differently than uh, other open source projects.
2: Yeah, a- npm is is an interesting and it's, it's it's got its own unique characteristics. npm from the get go was even though it was the package manager for Node, it was completely separate. And Isaac Schluter, the creator of npm, he actually retained that as ah, okay. as like his. I don't know specifically like what the licensing was, but it was it was very much that was not part of the Node project. It was actually it was this is something that Isaac did. And so so he went and founded, you know, NPM to go basically make a business out of NPM. Okay. One of the one of the reasons why why he could do because it, it was actually he was the license holder of that, not like Joint or the Node Foundation or anything like that. So hmm. You know, and so they've, they've gone and I mean they've been, you know, doing this now for a while. So they formed NPM, the company. It is now offering, you know, NPM as a service that they're, and now they have a paid model for doing, you know, it's very common, you know, you have public repos versus private. So they're charging for private repos. And then just recently, they have a new, new version of it that's geared more towards enterprises. So, and I believe this is basically you have your, it's now, now instead of having the global npm population of modules, it's really going to be like you get to decide what's what's in that. So it's not just your private ones, but also like how do you want? What public ones do you want to be to be part of that as well? So just, but again, just really smart approach of like, hey, npm's out there. It's still open source. It's free. You don't have to pay any money for it to use it. But if you want some of these value added things, like you can go ahead and, and, and do that. And they can make they can have a, a very good business model around that. Until of course AWS decides to
1: Yeah, I was gonna say actually this is yet another <laughs> another one that AWS can pick up.
2: Yeah. But I mean it's a, it's a great it's like this is one of those things where there's probably not a lot of customers that are yelling at AWS saying, Oh, I wish you had a package manager for Node and package manager for Python.
0: Mm-hmm. Probably
2: not hearing that nearly as much. Although, you know, they did do this with uh, Docker images. So yep. they, have, they have ECR and that definitely yep. is a competitor to Docker Hub. So, yep. you know, who knows? But for right now, it's it's still a, it's a good approach for them. Right on.
1: Yep. Well, thank you very much. What a fun conversation. And yeah, it was. Yeah, we'll be back here next week. Thanks for listening.
0: All right. Thanks, John. See you later. Bye. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash 50. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.